How are you today? Excellent. <laughs> good. Well, it's a crowdsourced answer, so everybody's like, yeah, that's good. Um, so my name is Dave Sherwood. I'm the lead pastor here. We're in a series called Why Are You? And it's kind of opening up the questions of life purpose. And so we're kind of in week three. Week one, we talked about how were you made? It says that God has designed us and we're all kind of uniquely designed. And so understanding kind of our emotional intelligence, are we an extrovert, an introvert? What are our spiritual gifts? Just being self-aware of who we are. Uh, the second thing about life purpose that we talked about was last week, and that's all the resources that we have because whatever our life purpose is going to engage itself in, all of the stuff that we've got, our skills, our material possessions, our finances, our networks, all of that stuff is going to be utilized in terms of our life purpose as well. And this is week three, and what we're going to talk about with week three is basically relationships. And where I'm going with all of this is kind of got a fork in the road this morning. See, if you talk about life purpose and you go kind of surfing the web out there and you're looking in general, what does our culture say about life purpose? It's going to say things like this. It's going to say, follow your bliss. Um, you know, follow your passion. Uh, you need to self-actualize. You need to do things that spark joy. It's, it's all going to be kind of like that. And you'll You'll notice that in general, the way the culture would demarcate something like life purpose is, is a real self-contained, self-oriented way of looking at life. So this fork in the road that I talked about, that's the world's way, our culture's way of talking about life purpose. Jesus talks about life purpose, and he talks about it in a dramatically different way. He says this, he says, deny yourself. Pick up your cross, follow me. Esteem others as more important than yourself. Wash people's feet. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. He's got this really different way of doing things. And you'll notice a good portion of what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about this life purpose is he's talking about your life intersecting other people's lives in significant ways. I want you to notice uh, the verse that we've been kicking around really all through this series. And I, I try to give a little bit of a different slant on it uh, every week. And so uh, this week we're going to bring it up again, Acts 13, 36. And it says this, for David, this is talking about King David in the Old Testament. It says that after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep and he was laid amongst his fathers. And the things that I want you to notice this week is, one is, this purpose is he, he served the purposes of God. He didn't serve himself. He didn't self-actualize. He didn't follow his bliss. He, he served the purposes of God. And then I want you to notice he served the purposes of God in his generation. It wasn't in isolation. It wasn't in autonomy. It wasn't on an island. He served his generation. 
Now that opens up some interesting questions. Because if God built me in a very specific sort of way, and he's given me some specific resources, and then he's placed me in these circles. What are these circles that I'm talking about? These circles of relationship. So I want you to think about some of these circles of relationship. One is your, your, your home and the, the neighbors nearby, the people that you live with, something like that. That's something for you to consider. What's my life purpose towards my spouse, towards my children, towards my next-door neighbors? The next would be um, the circles of work. So when I'm at work, who are the people? Who's my boss? Who are my employees? Who are my co-workers? What's my life purpose? What does God intend as I intersect with those people? School, the same thing. What does it mean that God has me as a student of this teacher? And when's the last time you took in an apple for your, your teacher? When's the last time you sat with a kid who's sitting at lunch with nobody else sitting next to him? What does it mean to help your peers with their peer pressure and everything else? My one daughter is pastoring people like from midnight to 1 a.m. Every, every night because part of her life purpose is to, to help some of her peers through life. Online groups, hobbies, the bowling team, uh, it doesn't really matter. Watch. The idea is basically this, that God knew what he's doing. He made you in a very specific way. He resourced you in a specific way. And then he's deployed you in these circles. And then the question becomes, are there cool stories happening in those circles? I'm going to tell you two stories. So one story is, I was in Denver. And... Um, I was working at a homeless shelter, and uh, working at a homeless shelter doesn't pay necessarily a whole lot, so I, I, I kind of had two jobs, and I had this Jeep, and one day I'm on my way to the homeless shelter, and a drunk driver, I'm just sitting at a stoplight, he just plows into me, destroys my Jeep. And so Amy comes, my wife, she picks me up, we go back to the house, and you, know, you start thinking about what are we going to do, getting to work and dropping off, and what does the world look like with just without that car, and so I, I had I'd been in this apartment complex for about a year, and I kind of had become this unofficial chaplain in the, in, in the apartment complex after we got there. I, people just heard that I'd been a pastor, and so I'm counseling the one couple that's constantly at each other's throats, and I'm, I'm counseling this one little old lady who's raising her grandkids because her kids have done too many drugs, and I'm, 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 I'm meeting these people that have given up on church, and, and there's this one raging alcoholic lady, and I know on Saturday nights that if she's good, she's good, but if she's up on her balcony screaming at the top of her lungs, you better check yourself or you'll wreck yourself. If she's screaming that, that's her little call, chaplain, it's probably time for a visit. Okay, so those are the, that's the life that I'm living. And, and I've got this destroyed Jeep. I'm working two jobs. I might be asking God those days you know, some questions about, do you care for me? Do you love me? So this one couple that I knew, and I barely knew. I'd maybe talked to them maybe nine times. So I'm, I'm sitting out in my, in my kind of my back porch area, and he comes down, and he, he, he says, how's it going? I said, it's going okay. And he's like, well, I heard about the, the whole Jeep thing. And I'm like, you know, thanks. And, and then he, he says this. He says, you know, we've been in Denver for a while now, and, and we haven't found the church that we're supposed to go to yet. We've visited, but, and we've been kind of saving our tithe money. And um, 
And he handed me $3,000. Now, I don't know about you, but these sort of things never happened to me when I was, like, not a Christian. Like, there's just no weird in my life. But this guy is going, look, I'm saving this money for the church that we're supposed to go to, but here's this kingdom opportunity, here's this person. I have the means, and so I'm going to do this. What does it mean to look at life that way, to be constantly kind of scanning the horizon for how you can be a blessing? Now, you might go, well, I don't have money. No, 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 that's not the point. The point is who you are and the resources that you have. What can you give? Maybe you can listen. Maybe you can offer compassion. Maybe you can be of some practical help with their electrical. There's all kinds of possibilities that are all about the uniqueness of who you are. Years ago when I was in Texas, I was a substitute teacher a little bit on the side to make some extra money. And so I'm I'm a substitute teacher, and I'm asking myself while I'm doing some of this, hey, God, you know, what do you want me to do in this place? And so one day I'm doing this study hall, and while I'm in this study hall, there's some kids in the study hall, and they get to talk and stuff like that. And this one girl's kind of got her back to me, and I I decide, well, I'm in this study hall, and I don't know why I'm doing this other than making a couple of bucks, but if God's got a plan, that's great. And so I'm, I'm praying for these kids in the study hall, but I start sketching this girl that has got her back to me while I'm praying. So I'm just sitting up there, a substitute teacher drawing, and I kind of, I comes to the end of the period, and I um, am like, okay, I've, I've prayed, and you know, I drew this picture, and that's just weird, and, and I felt like God said something. Now, I'm not a good charismatic, I'm not a good charismatic, I, I can't be like, let's say it the Lord, but I'm like, this is really what I, I sensed strongly that God said. So there's five minutes left in the period, and I, and I think that God wants me to get, take this picture and give it to this girl, and he wants me to write something very specific on it. And the thing that I'm supposed to write on the back of it, basically, is um, you may not be aware of it, but God's behind you, and he hasn't forgotten you. And it's just this picture of a girl sitting in a chair, I, not her face, because I can't draw faces great, but I, I drew her hair okay. And I hand her this thing, and she leaves, and I'm just like, you know, this is weird and creepy, and maybe I'm going to get fired. And two periods later, she obviously has been in the restroom crying because her eyes are puffy. Two periods later, she just comes in my door and just wraps her arms around me, doesn't say anything, and just leaves. What does it mean to walk through life and to say, Jesus has got me, my skills, my resources, and he's got, us, got me deployed on purpose to have these intersection moments with other people. It says this in Romans 15 too. It says, let, us, let each of us please his neighbor for his good and to build him up. Another version expands on this idea a little bit, modernizes it. Each of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? Now, this would be one of those sermons where I could honestly say, just straight out, it's not about you today. It is about all the people that intersect in your life. And it's kind of this fork in the road of, do I think that like me being at my best and self-actualization and passion and follow your, do I think that, that I'm going to come fully alive as a narcissist, as a selfish person, or if I take this radical approach to selflessness, like Jesus is the best version of who I am and the revolutionary story of who Jesus is, is that going to happen? 
Now, you may be sitting there going, you know, I'm thinking about this, Dave, because the world says one thing and you're saying something else. Uh, But here's the, the, I'm going to win now. When you're selfish, how fun is it? Because it's endless. There's never going to be enough money, enough experiences, enough whatever. It, it, It is a black hole. But... When you are a person that gives yourself away, endless possibilities, and each of them unique and flowering in front of you. And it creates dynamic memories for you, and it changes other people's perceptions of all of life. Which one are you going to live? Hebrews 13, 16 says this, Make sure that you don't think, take things for granted and go slack in working for the common good. Share what you have with others. God takes particular pleasure in acts of worship, a different kind of sacrifice that takes place in the kitchen, the workplace, and on the streets. What's the idea going on in this Hebrews 13 passage? You can take things for granted and go slack. I'm loved by God, I was designed by God, I'm blessed by God, I'm forgiven by God, I'm graced by God. I've been given a church, I've been given a family, I've been given adoption, I've been given eternal life. And forget that all those are investments that God has made in you that are to be extended out into the world, into other people. We have a tendency to think, or at least I've met plenty of Christians that think that this is all about concepts and ideas. I, I, I go to church, I learn concepts, I learn ideas. It's parables and it's proverbs and it's principles and something like that. And, and it's true, there are ideas and there is a certain amount of importance to all of that. But part of what Jesus is trying to do is he's, he's stepping into moments and he's saying, look, you've got plenty of Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and all. There's plenty of that going on at the temple. I want to show you guys to go to the least of these, to go to the highways and the byways. I want you to go to the, the meth heads and I want you to go to the skater freaks and I want you to go to the tattoo parlors and I want you to go to the bars and I, I want you to go to the single moms and I want you to go to, and, and I want you to love those people and I want you to invite them into relationship with you and with us and with hope and with grace. And the question then becomes for those of us that claim to be Jesus followers, is that what's going on? Or have we settled for a lesser story? I'm going to have you watch a video clip. It's from a a movie. And I'll I'll tell you the movie here in just a second. But the thing that's fascinating about the movie is the the book was written, that the movie's based upon, the book was written by an Episcopalian lady. And she was thinking one day, she was like, I want to kind of modernize the effect that Jesus had on people. It's not that I just want to like modern, it's not like Jesus Christ Superstar. Like I'm just going to modernize the Jesus story. She's like, I, I want to get that feel, that vibe from it. She, she wrote a book. It's the second book she'd ever written. It's what made her famous. Um, it's called Pay It Forward. And it's funny because this week I was Googling and I, I, you know, Pay It Forward and there's all these groups and all these blogs and all these companies and all these people doing this whole pay it forward thing. And one of the critical rules in the whole pay it forward movie is this, is that that which you have received, you don't, you don't pay back to the person that you got it from. You have to pay it forward. 
It's not going to be karma. It's not going to be like most religions where you, you, you do good and then you get good back. It's, it's going to be instead a lot like Jesus. It's going to be that Jesus gives. What does he give? He gives his life for you. What, can you give back anything on that level? You can't. It doesn't matter. But what, he, what you can do is you can give yourself away for other people like he did. For your neighbor, for your coworker, for your friends, for your family, for your schoolmates. So I want you to watch this clip and I want you to start thinking about how might God want to unleash you to pay it forward with all that he's given you, made you to be, and resourced you with. Watch this clip. What if the world is just a big disappointment? Unless you take the things that you don't like about this world and you flip them upside down and you can start that today. That's me and that's three people and I'm going to help them. Then they do it for three other people. Then they do it for three more. But it has to be something really big, something they can't do by themselves. That's a keen observation. I can help you. You're giving me a brand new Jaguar and you don't want anything? Call it generosity between two strangers. What did you tell my son to make him bring a homeless man into my house? I've got a story, okay? Senior partner Channing and Moss is giving away new cars. Just pay it forward. This is the one. Pay it forward. Pay it forward. It's like this idea. Stay right there. What are you doing on my truck? Let me show you. I'm just... I'm just going to open the door, okay? See? Might be easier for you to sell now. Now that it works. I didn't ask for your help. No. What is going on with you and my son? He wanted to help somebody. Wanted to get somebody back on their feet, so he gave me a little money. He gave you money? Yes, ma'am. That's his savings. Uh, well, it's clothes and shoes, and I got the job off it. You think you can keep it? Somebody comes along like your son and gives me a leg up. I'll take it. Even from a kid, I'll take it. Look, I appreciate what you're trying to do, paying back Trevor. I'm not allowed to pay back Trevor. Then what is it you're doing? I'm paying it forward. What's paying it forward? 
That's me. And that's three people. And I'm going to help them. But it has to be something really big. Something they can't do by themselves. So I do it for them. Then they do it for three other people. That's nine. And I do three more. That's 27, so I'm not really good at math, but it gets big really fast, you know? please? Yes. I think it's a good idea. Sean? It's stupid. Adam? It's the honor system. People blow off the honor system. So what? Just because you do. <laughs> well, Trevor, the class seems to think that you've come up with an overly utopian idea. Look that word up in a minute. Like a perfect world? In the Old Testament, there's this term called mitzvot. It's a flexible term. It means anything from, like, this is God's command to this is the good deed that you know in your heart you're supposed to do. And it's a flexible term because it's put into play in such a way that it has that swing. That there are some things that God's like, look, you need to do these things. You need to love one another. That's a command that I've got for you. You need to take care of widows and orphans. That's a command that I've got for you. And, and then there's these other things which are just your unique opportunities to do good things for other people, as Jesus did. There's a woman who's about to get you know, stoned to death, and there's a, a guy that's demonized, and Jesus gets the demon out, and and there's people that need food, and there's people that need, and he he does all sorts of things, and he's left us to continue this mission with the uniqueness of who you are. What does that mean? That means when I'm driving down the highway, and somebody's pulled over on the side of the road, um, I, I, I've confessed I'm not mechanically inclined, so if I pull over, I'm just going to be offering emotional support. Some of you could actually help. I, I'm just going to pull over and basically say, can I, can I call, you know, 911 or something for you? And here's my point. My point is this. Your circles are not the same as my circles. The people that you know and the gifts that you've got, it's just unique. It, the hospitality you can offer, the compassion that you can offer, the grace that you can offer. It's the difference just between thinking about your own life on your own terms and thinking about something in an entirely different way. I, 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 I could come up to retirement age and say, you know what, I've been an electrician for 30, 40 years, and, you know, I, I, I've retired, and, you know, I, I guess we should sell this stuff. And, or it's going, you know, I've been an electrician 30 or 40 years. God's taken care of me. What does it mean to, to go down to Votech and to find a senior and to give all of my electrical stuff to them? Or we've got a car that, you know, is, is barely running. We, you know, we've, we're kind of down. We only need one car for the two of us. And I got this up. What does it mean to give that car to someone? The question becomes, are we scanning the horizon that way? Constantly looking for what we're going to get or constantly looking for what we're going to give? Because the, the following of Jesus is very much this. 
It's looking around and saying, what do they need? And how can you give yourself, because sometimes that's the, that's the thing that needs, your listening, your compassion, your hospitality, or, and sometimes it's your resources, the stuff that you've got, the networks that you have. Well, what does it mean to look at life that way? What does it mean to, to hear somebody say, you know, they're a single mom and, and they, they get home from work and they've got to, you know, do things with their kids and they've got to defrag and they've got to somehow make dinner and they've got to uh, do all the studying stuff and, and, and the next day at work, an Instapot shows up on their desk because you're listening. You're constantly listening. You're constantly seeing What's going on in other people's lives? And then you're constantly referencing, God, what do you want to do through me or maybe through, through me and some other people to address that? There's a sequence that happens in John chapter 6. And I, I want you to kind of watch the sequence just to get a feel for it. So in the sequence, what happens is in John 6, 5, it says this about Jesus. Jesus lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a, a large crowd was coming towards him. And Jesus said to Philip, his sidekick disciple, uh, where are we uh, to buy bread for all these people so that they can eat? Well, what's going on? Well, Jesus has gotten famous, and so all these people have kind of come out to the countryside outside of the city to listen to him talk. But I want you to notice, you know, because we've talked about Christianity is not just, it's not just about principles and about and about ideas, that stuff matters. But this is a moment where what ends up in Scripture is actually fascinating. Jesus is just looking out and he says, I see people that are hungry. And then he, he asks his sidekick, Philip, or you, and he says, oh, where are we going to go buy bread so that all these people may eat? And it's not like there's a, a sheets nearby. It's not like there's 7-Elevens in a convenience store. This, is, this would be a huge ordeal to actually go and to get food for all these people. So what's going on? What's going on is Jesus is seeing, he's lifting up his eyes, he's seeing what's in front of him and what's needed. And they need to hear his teaching, but they also need something else. And he turns to Philip, and he's basically asking Philip an open question. So what are, what are we going to do about this? Notice he doesn't say, what am I going to do about this? Jesus, you know, magic miracle time, poof. And he doesn't say, hey, this is all your problem, Philip. You need to take care of this. He's, he's kind of gluing the two things together, and that's important. He goes on in the next couple of verses, and it says this. It says that he said all of this to test him. Because Jesus already knew what he wanted to do. But notice Philip's answer. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. So what kind of person is Philip? I don't know if you're this person. I've been this person. Basically say, I, I see the problem, and you know what? There's nothing that can be done about it. It's outside of my pay grade. There's nothing available. Maybe I want you to even notice, Philip doesn't answer. Jesus' question is, where are we going to go? Philip is like, where? Where doesn't even matter. We don't have the money for this. The, the, the location of the answer, as well as the finance, both of them are just impossible, Jesus. Do we look at the problems of our world? Do we look at the problems that are facing people in our circle? And do we just say, I'm done. It's not viable. And then again, go back to the beginning part of the sentence. Jesus is testing 
this Philip guy. He's testing us maybe as well. When we see a problem, do we just like, you know, Philip would be the guy that just posts it on Facebook and says, look at this thing that's all jacked up that nobody can do anything about. But the story goes on. It says this in the next couple of verses, but one of his disciples, switching gears, here's this Andrew guy, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he said to him, hey, Jesus, there's a kid, man, there's this, there's this punk kid who showed up, and he's got five barley loaves and two fish. But what is that amongst so many? So Philip is like, the glass is, is half empty. In fact, the, the bottom's been cut off the bottom, and it's just, it's, it's a black hole. Andrew's the guy that's like, hey, I want you, I, 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 there's not much, but you know, I noticed that there is this kid, and he's brought some stuff. And what has he brought? He brought five loaves of bread. Um, I don't know about you. I, I can't eat five loaves of bread. So what's going on is this kid has already got more than he needs for himself. Now, how did he end up there with more than he needed? And how has he presented himself as, hey, maybe I can help with some of this? We don't know. These are mysteries. What we do know is that there's a slight shift going on in that Andrew is at least starting to go, what do we have? It's not enough. But, and it's not even just what does he have, but what does my network have? What does this kid have? Andrew's the person that would say, basically on Facebook, here's, here's some problem, and I've tagged a couple of friends that might be able to help. Okay, which you can either find cool or, or you'd be like, no, don't tag me. But what's Jesus going to do with all this? This just practical problem of feeding people. It says this, Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. He also took the fish as much as they wanted. And if you read on in the story, you find out that they actually gather up like multiple basketfuls full of things. So what's the miracle going on here? And why is this in Scripture? I want you to notice that the miracle is not going to be possible with Philip's attitude. There's no place to go, and there's no money, and it's just not my problem. Okay, then nothing's going to happen. You're right. Then you've got the guy that says, you know, there's not much. We only have this little bit, and we've got this, this kid who's provided something in, in my network. Is there anything we can do with this? I, maybe. It doesn't seem like much. And what does Jesus do? Jesus just steps into that little tiny mustard seed of faith, that little bit. And he basically says, let me add a few more things to it. Let me take this, and you know what? It's not about me, and it's not about you, and it's not about the little kid and the limitations of the situation. It's about the Father. And he lifts up this stuff, and he says, Father, bless this. Would you step into this? Because throughout the Old Testament, when you look at all kinds of miracles, Moses and and, and Noah and everything, and you've got this thing that God says all the time, I'm going to be with you. You're still going to have to take risks. You're going to have to step out, but I'm going to be with you. So notice a few things that Jesus does. He, he sees the need. I want you to notice the disciples' poverty mentality. I want you to see the boy who brought what he had and was obviously willing to sacrifice it for the sake of others. I want you to see the power of God in prayer and actually extending God get into the midst of all this. And then I want you to notice the stepping out in faith. What does all this mean? It, it means what kind of a disciple are you going to be and what kind of story are they going to write? I wonder how many times Philip has gotten ribbed up in heaven. Oh, we can't do anything about it. 
Because that's who he was. At that point in time, maybe not for the rest of his life, it says that Jesus was testing him. He's trying to say, there's a lot more. Your, your faith is still stuck in concepts and ideas and temple and all that good stuff. Your faith isn't dealing with reality at school and at work and the stuff in front of you yet. Get your faith in gear in the real world. Take what you've got. Ask for God's help. Network with others. And then step out in faith and see what God does. Living that sort of life makes your biography fun and cool and interesting and great to read. It makes your life an adventure. And you've got memories and things that you pass on down to your kids and stories that you could say, whether it's from a pulpit or at an AA meeting or on your blog or on Facebook or 10,000 other places. Or there's not enough. God hasn't bothered to show up. I don't know where to go. It's not my problem. And that story... Man, you were made for a better story than that. It's the thing that shows up on Facebook every now and then. It says, it says that the world needs who you were made to be. It's good theology, actually. Every single one of you, designed by God, resourced by God, and then deployed by God to continue the revolution of who Jesus is. Part of that re revolution very much is preaching the gospel, explaining the good news, who Jesus is, what the cross meant, all that good stuff. But then the other part of it is you just roll up your sleeves and you wash dishes and you change tires and you babysit kids and you are, are hanging out at the emergency room and ordering pizza for people and whatever else God calls you to do. Matthew 22, 36 through 39, it says this. There's a guy and he basically says, look, uh, teacher, talking to Jesus. Like, yeah, all kinds of rigmarole in the Old Testament and all this Levitical code. And, hey, can you give me the short version? Can you give me the reader's diet? The, the Jesus for dummies version, what's going on? And this is what happens. Teacher, which, of the, which is the great commandment in the law? And he, and he said to him, Jesus said back to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul. And with all of your mind, that, that's first position. Go all in, heart, mind, soul, strength with God. And then he follows it up with this, and he says, and the second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he gets all kinds of pushback from people. People are like, who's my neighbor? Is it got to be Jewish? Or is it got to be a friend? Is it gotta, you know? And Jesus basically goes over and over and over again. You want to know who your neighbor is? If you can see them, they're your neighbor. If they're on your Facebook page, they're your neighbor. If they're in proximity, they're your neighbor. That, your neighbor is wherever you can make a difference. So here's what I would suggest is we're kind of in this week three, that you would take some time and you would take this little, I said, you know, maybe do a life purpose journal and you look at it about every 10 years. Make a list of who? Make a list of all the circles of influence that you're in. List them by name. And then maybe start listening and looking for what's going on in their lives. Whether they're empty nesters, or maybe they just had a kid, or maybe their kid's got leukemia, or maybe it's a single mom, or maybe they are new to the company or new to the school. You're just looking and you're listening for what do they need. That's what Jesus is doing. He's looking at it. He sees they're hungry. He knows he needs to preach to them, but he knows there's more. And you're just starting to look this way. And that's not a one and done. This is a lifestyle way of living. And then the third part is be Jesus to them where you can, with who you are, not with 
somebody else's skill packages and resources, but with yours. And if you do that, I, I promise you, and slash double dog dare you, your biography will be awesome. Like the life you're living will be awesome. You'll have memories and, you'll, and God will give you more opportunities to do this cool stuff. Or you can settle for religion and church and an occasional listening to worship music in your car. It's okay that you were made for way, way more than that. Let me pray. Father God, we come to you, and Father, we, um, we have a tendency to buy into our, our culture, and our culture keeps trying to sell us on self-actualizing and following our bliss and sparking joy and buying stuff and having experiences for ourselves and and Father, all that's real, and it, it calls out to us. And then there's your Son, your Son who sacrificed everything for us. There's your Son saying, deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me. Esteem others as more important than yourself. Be a servant to all, wash people's feet. And Father, in the midst of these two very, very different ways of living life, we ask that you would help us to see the joy, the fun, the adventure, and the meaning that comes from abandoning our selfishness or your selflessness and continuing the revolution of Jesus Christ in Ferry County. We pray all these things in your name, Jesus. And God's people said...